You are listening to the Best in Wealth Podcast, episode number 171. This is the Best in Wealth Podcast, a show for successful family stewards who want real answers about wealth and investing so we can feel secure about our family's future. At the Best in Wealth Podcast, we think differently about wealth and investing, and you should too. Well, hello everyone. My name is Scott Wellens, and I'm your host of the Best in Wealth Podcast. Now, this is a show dedicated to helping real people, that is you, my friend, build real wealth so together we can take family stewardship to the next level. I am a certified financial planner, a fiduciary, a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro, an educator, and wealth advisor. It is great to be with you today. Today's episode is what should we think about the biggest companies in the United States? But before we get to the topic of the day, what did you guys do last year for Christmas? I mean, we were in the middle of a pandemic. A lot of us didn't get together at all. My mom, well, she was not happy about the whole situation. So her solution was keep the Christmas tree up We're going to have Christmas in July, and by golly, we are in July. My brothers and all of their families from around the U.S. are getting together at my mom and dad's, and we are having Christmas. And honestly, I can't wait. My kids, you know, they're super excited because Christmas is done and gone, but it really isn't. There's a little bit left with my mom's family Christmas, but it gets me thinking. When I was a kid, I wanted the biggest present under the tree. So when I got up, probably around four in the morning to start looking at Christmas presents that Santa brought, I'd be looking at the tags and I'd get so mad if one of my brothers had the biggest gift because I wanted the biggest gift because we all know that the greatest presents are the biggest presents. My kids are the same way. They today want the biggest present. What about you? When you were a kid, what about now? What about your kids? Do they want the little dinky tiny present under the tree or do they want the biggest gift? Let's get to the topic of the day. All right, here we go. What to think about the biggest company stocks. And you know, I got a couple of more things to say. This may not be a long episode because I just found out that the company that does the editing of the show and writing the show notes, they're not going to be around by the time I need to record the next episode. So I'm recording well in advance of when I usually do. And so I wasn't prepared today to do a podcast. So I put something together that might not be quite as long, but you know what? Maybe that's a good thing because I got some good value nuggets in today's episode and it doesn't have to be long in order to deliver value to you guys. And before I forget too, if you're a longtime listener, would love for you to leave a review at the Purple Podcast app, the Apple Podcast app. That would be awesome if you would do so. It'll allow more listeners to find the show. And if you're a new listener, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy today's episode, which is what to think 
about the biggest companies in the United States and how much of that should I have in my portfolio and how well do these largest companies perform. And when I think about the largest companies, I'm talking about the top 10. So you know some of these largest 10 companies in the U.S. In fact, you know all of them. You know companies like Apple and Microsoft and Google and Facebook, the largest 10 companies, and there's more. But should I have a large amount of money in the largest 10 companies? Because just thinking about some of those companies that I just named off, man, they've done really well on average the last five, six, eight years. Some of them not so well this year and not so well since the fourth quarter of 2020, but overall have done well on average the last eight or so years. So I wanted to dive in and look at how is the performance of the top 10 companies in the United States throughout the last 95 or so years. You know, we have reliable stock market data at the Center for Research of Security Prices located at the University of Chicago since 1927. So I want to look at the top 10 companies since 1927 all the way through 2020 and check out their performance, their performance before they reached the top 10 and after they reached top 10 status. And in order to get a good, clear understanding, let's look at how well the top 10 companies have done compared to its benchmark, which is the S&P 500. The S&P 500 is the largest 500 companies in the United States, different than the largest 10. But the largest 500, I'm rounding down a little bit, but looking back the last 95 years, has averaged 10% per year. So how well have the top 10 companies, or poorly, have they done compared to its benchmark, the S&P 500? And I think we're going to find it very interesting. So if I look back 10 years before companies reached top 10 status, how did they perform? For example, Apple is in top 10 status right now, but Apple didn't always achieve top 10 status or the top 10 largest companies per market cap. In the United States, there was a time Apple was a small, dinky company. So how did Apple do? And anyone else who's reached the top 10, how did they do 10 years before they reached the top 10? How were they doing five years before, three years before? And then what about three years after, five years after, and 10 years after? Because it's real important. Because are these companies doing really well before or really well after they reach the top 10 status? So if I look back 10 years before companies reached top 10 status, how did they do 10 years before they reached top 10 status on average since 1927? They averaged 10% per year better than the benchmark. That means almost 20% per year on average 10 years before they reach top 10 status. Pretty stinking good. Problem is we got to figure out what companies they are 10 years before they reach top 10 status. That's the challenge. What about five years before? Five years before these companies have reached top 10 status. 
What were the returns look like? Well, 19% on average over its benchmark, the S&P 500. So if you can figure out what the top 10 companies are five years before they become top 10 companies on average, you'll do 20% better than the benchmark, which is amazing. In three years before, even better, 24.2% better than its benchmark. So as these companies start growing really quickly, they garner awesome returns before they reach top 10 status. Amazing returns. But in order to get those returns, we got to figure out what these companies are before they reach top 10 status. And that's the difficult part. What we can do is look today and see, hey, what are the top 10 companies? And maybe since they've had great returns 10 years, five years, and especially three years before they reach top 10 status, maybe I ought to just get in them now. Because let me tell you what, friend, (laughs) that's what a lot of people do. They chase the biggest companies and they look back at the past returns and they're like, man, wow, Apple has had amazing returns on average the last 10 years. Microsoft has had amazing returns on average the last 10 and five and three years. Looking back, same as Netflix, same as any top 10, well, not any, but on average, a lot of companies before they reach top 10 status. So now I know they reach top 10 status because I can see the companies today by the market cap who the top 10 companies are. Let's invest in those. All right, great. But how do the top 10 companies on average perform after they reach top 10 status? Well, three years after these companies reached top 10 status, they still are doing better than their benchmark, the S&P 500. On average, 0.7% better. So not quite a percent better, but still 0.7% better. Not bad. What about five years after? Five years after joining the 10 largest companies on average, companies that have since 1927 have lagged the S&P 500 on average negative 0.6%. Huh, really? How did that happen? These companies were doing so good leading up to top 10 status and now they start to drag in returns compared to their benchmark. What about 10 years later? 10 years later, on average, negative 1.5% worse than the benchmark, than the S&P 500. So according to this math, I'd be better off investing in the S&P 500 than the top 10 companies once they become top 10 companies. You see, risk and return are absolutely related. So the more known a company gets, And the more people that are pouring money into these companies, the less risky they become. Netflix was really risky when it barely had any subscribers and it was competing with Blockbuster or something like that. The risk of that company was a lot higher than it might be right now. And I mentioned Netflix and they're really not even in the top 10 right now. But think of the really large companies, the top 10s. Let me give you an example. Intel is a great example. Technology giant posted average annualized excess returns over the benchmark of 29% in the 10 years before it ascended to the top 10. But in the next decade, 
underperformed the broad market by almost 6% per year. That's chasing returns, my friends. That's looking at Intel and saying, man, you've been doing so good. I need to invest in you. Now I finally invest in you because I see how well you've done and now you're underperforming the market. Similarly, the annualized excess return of Google five years before was in the top 10, dropped by about half in the five years after it joined the list. We got to think about what we're doing when we're developing portfolios and not chasing the biggest stocks. It's the same thing that I preach on here over and over. It's like chasing past performance. When we chase past performance, we're losers on average. And we're family stewards. We can't afford to be losers. We're taking care of our family. It's our responsibility to get ourselves in an investment philosophy that gives us the best chance for success. And all the evidence shows us that chasing the top 10 stocks, the top 10 biggest companies, or chasing performance in any company is on average a loser's game. Instead, what do we need to do? We need to develop a strategy that we can stick with, a strategy that doesn't allow us to chase performance, a strategy that makes discipline at its core. Because when we can be disciplined and not chase returns, now we're set up for when those returns start pouring in. Like on average, the last three to five years when large companies were beating smaller, growth was beating value, and now the tables have completely turned. But so many people have not stayed disciplined. They've chased the returns that they're not seeing anymore. And as a family steward, that is about the last thing that we can afford. So what were you like at Christmas time? Were you chasing that biggest present like me? I bet you were. I bet a lot of you were. But then you know what happened? You, you got smart. <laughs> you found out that that biggest present is not always the best present. In fact, one Christmas, I had the biggest, baddest present under the tree. And I opened up that present, and there was a box with the smaller present. And I kept opening smaller and smaller boxes. Until finally, there was a basketball. (laughs) And that turned out not to be the greatest gift that was under the tree. It happened to be the smallest gift. And I think we've all gotten a lot smarter right now that we're not going to chase the smallest gift. And same, similarly, we can't chase the largest companies. We're family stewards. That's not what's going to give us the best chance for success. What is a balanced strategy? A strategy where discipline and patience take over and not chasing performance. Because the biggest companies on average do not do as well as smaller companies on average. That doesn't mean we don't want big companies. It means we want to focus in places that will give us higher expected returns in the long run. All well knowing that from year to year, we may not see better returns in small companies. Sometimes they are in large, but if we're disciplined and we have patience and we stick around when the returns come in, well then years like this year can be a really, really good year for us as family stewards. Because you know what? We're in this for the long haul. 
We're not in here for the short haul. We need to be here for our family and set ourselves up for the greatest chance for success. All right, that's all the time I have for today. I hope everyone has a fantastic day and week ahead of them. And I will see you on the flip side. Bye-bye, everyone. The Best in Wealth Podcast is hosted by Scott Wellens. Scott Wellens is the principal at Fortress Planning Group. Fortress Planning Group is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities Act of Wisconsin in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Fortress Planning Group does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Best in Wealth Podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.